Welcome to Freshfield's Essential Antitrust Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Rissmiller, a partner in the DC office and the Antitrust Practice Group. Today, we focus specifically on the increased antitrust activity in labor markets. I'm joined by three colleagues to talk about these trends. Holly Inslee, a partner in our People and Reward Practice based in London. Hi, Megan. Bruce McCulloch, a partner in our antitrust practice based in Washington. Thanks, Megan. Happy to be here. And Ermelinda Spinelli, a partner in our antitrust practice based in Milan and Rome. Thank you, Megan. I'm delighted to be here with you. So let's get started. So COVID has impacted people's approach to the job market, making them rethink their priorities and evaluate their work-life balance, leading to what some have called the great resignation. How has this change in approach and the related movement of people presented itself in your everyday practice, Holly? Thanks, Megan. From my perspective, I'm seeing a lot of queries about movement of talent between organisations. And as you say, we're hearing a lot about this great resignation. And in a sense, if that's coupled with somebody completely changing their career and heading off to the hills to pursue a completely new direction, then that's one thing. In a sense, that's fine. But if what they're doing is just moving to a new employer in the same industry or maybe setting up in business on their own or pursuing a slightly different direction, but one that might still involve the same client contacts, use of sensitive information, connections with their former colleagues, that's when it's much more worrying. And that's the part of the trend that I'm seeing people moving within their industry and there being real concern on the part of their employers that their confidential information or their client contacts or their talent is at risk. And logically, the extension of that is I'm seeing a lot of questions around, well, what can we do about it? How do we stop this happening? How do we protect ourselves? And there, I think it's a sort of carrot and stick, right? So there's how do you encourage employees to stay in the first place? Um, Retention packages, good compensation packages, thinking about broader cultural things like making the office a a fun place to be. There's a lot of talk at the moment in the UK about trialling a four-day working week. And then there's the stick, which I guess is probably the bigger part of what we're talking about today. So how do you make it difficult for people to leave or for new employers to hire them? Um, How do you stop them, if they do leave, from popping up in a competitive capacity and doing you damage? And that, of course, is where we get into the world of restrictive covenants. And I suspect these might be themes which are becoming increasingly relevant across different practices, not just P&R. So maybe I'll turn to Bruce for that question. Yes, Megan, uh, that's absolutely true. Um, The intersection of antitrust law and labor law has exploded onto the scene in the last few years uh, as the U.S. regulators, uh, both the FTC and the DOJ, have made labor issues a critical part of antitrust enforcement. As a result, clients are approaching us more and more about how certain labor practices may implicate antitrust laws. These include wage fixing, which is now being pursued criminally in the U.S., no poach agreements, and non-compete clauses, just to mention a few of the areas that have seen increased attention. Clients need to know if business practices that seemed commonplace in prior times have actually become problematic. For example, non-competes, which have been relatively standard in U.S. transactions, now are being much, much more closely scrutinized. So, yeah, thanks, Bruce. These are all very timely questions and aren't entirely surprising given the recent regulatory environment. In the U.S., it's certainly no secret that the Biden administration and the U.S. antitrust agencies have been quite vocal about increasing antitrust enforcement generally. Bruce, would you mind sharing some of these developments with us? 
Of course. Um, the focus on labor restrictions actually reaches back a few years to when the DOJ and FTC jointly issued antitrust guidance to human resource professionals. This was uh, actually new at the time. This statement in, in 2016 warned HR professionals that they should focus on anti-competitive labor agreements uh, and that such agreements such as wage fixing or no poach could be prosecuted criminally. Um, this was a, a new standard. We had not seen criminal prosecutions in this area. The Trump administration enforcers continued to scrutinize and prosecute anti-competitive labor agreements, but the Biden administration enforcers have ramped up enforcement tremendously. They have repeatedly identified competition in the labor markets as one of their top priorities. Um, and nothing is more emblematic of that than the uh, President Biden's uh, 2021 executive order on antitrust, which, among other things, encouraged the FTC to target non-compete agreements in labor markets. The U.S. regulators have taken notice of that. Chair Lena Khan at the FTC wrote a letter to Congress in which she mentioned instructing her staff to investigate potentially unlawful mergers or conduct that harm workers. And she has repeatedly said that a merger's impact on the labor market will be a point of emphasis. And I know from personal experience, as do you, Megan, that this is, this is actually happening in practice. In December 2021, uh, just a few months ago, the DOJ and FTC held a workshop on promoting competition in labor markets. They discussed labor monopsony, increased use of non-competes and NDAs, information sharing and benchmarking activity between competitors, and the effects of antitrust on collective bargaining in the gig economy. The DOJ and FTC have not been quiet uh, about their position on the state of competition for labor and its impact on workers. Whether in press releases or public statements, they've repeatedly noted they are planning and actively working on increasing enforcement in this space. And the DOJ has actually followed through uh, on their promise to bring criminal actions for anti-competitive labor practices by filing multiple uh, enforcement actions. This spring, two of those actions went to trial, and the DOJ actually lost both of those criminal cases. The Jindal case, uh, where the defendants were acquitted of wage fixing, and the DeVita case, where DeVita, the company, as well as its CEO, were acquitted on charges of a letter allegedly entering into anti-competitive no-poach agreements with competitors. Despite these losses, the DOJ has said it will not be deterred in bringing future actions, and there are cases pending today. So while the government may have been unsuccessful in, in its initial efforts uh, at bringing these cases criminally, uh, they've certainly been busy and vocal, and, and we expect this to continue. Thanks, Bruce. Or Melinda, is this a phenomenon restricted to the U.S. only, or have you seen a similar pattern in Europe? Oh, absolutely. We have seen something like that in Europe, even if this has been traditionally seen as a U.S. phenomenon originated mainly in the U.S. Silicon Valley cases against big tech companies. But there's certainly something bubbling up in Europe as well. Amongst other things, this was triggered by a hearing held by the OECD in June 2019, specifically aimed at discussing antitrust concerns in labor markets. And amongst other things, uh, the Portuguese Competition Authority has been particularly active in this field, 
publishing in 2021 both a paper on labour markets and guidelines for companies on how to avoid anti-competitive agreements in the labour markets. And this had a significant echo across Europe. And in particular, we have seen a clear signal and a number of advocacy pieces and speeches by antitrust authorities in this space. And also EU Commissioner Margrethe Vestager, in a speech at the end of 2021, explicitly referenced to no poach and wage fixing agreements, sending a clear signal that also the EU Commission is clearly monitoring this space. And uh, in May 2022, the Director General of the European Commission Directorate General for Competition publicly stated that the agency can learn from the experience of the US antitrust enforcers in using competition policy to tackle no poach agreements in labor markets. And this, Megan, sounds quite a clear signal to companies throughout Europe. And in line with what I just said, over the last few months, we have seen an increasing level of enforcement of alleged anti-competitive practices in labor markets in Europe. From football teams in Portugal, basket teams in Poland, supermarkets in the Netherlands, HR consultants in Hungary, private schools in Spain and the automotive sector in Romania, where unannounced inspections were carried specifically in this space. That brings up some great points on antitrust becoming increasingly prevalent in everyday business. This rising trend of enforcement of restricting covenants, as well as increasing scrutiny on those covenants. So Holly, how have client requests changed? I'm seeing a lot of requests around the ability to enforce covenants where employees and particularly teams of employees have left, but also on the other side of the coin from potential hirers who want to know what their own exposure might be if they recruit somebody or if they recruit a team of people um, who have non-competes in their current contract. So I, I see it from both ends of the spectrum. A particular worry, I suppose, from my perspective is when exchanges of correspondence between a hirer and an aggrieved employer stray into the territory of potential agreement as to their future behaviour and actions. So, for example, one party is threatening to sue the other for inducing breach of a non-compete. The other party, for example, as part of the discussions then gets into a, a conversation about, well, how about I agree I won't hire any more or I won't hire another team from you. I think there's always a real desire to find a practical, pragmatic solution to these sorts of issues. But I know um, certainly as antitrust lawyers, that probably gets your hearts racing when you hear about those sorts of discussions. And it, it feels like something that's increasingly coming across my desk where perhaps well-meaning members of the business or well-meaning HR team members have started off down that road of there's a potential dispute between us. How do we resolve this in an amicable way? Yeah, Holly, that's right. And that's pragmatic and practical solutions from a commercial sense may have antitrust uh, implications. And I have seen, fortunately, that most companies are aware of the growing 
trend of, of antitrust uh, implications of labor agreements, uh, and they understand that they need to pay attention to labor restrictions such as non-competes uh, and what they, the impact of them may be. For example, a wide range of our clients are across different industries are asking for compliance training for their HR teams, which in the past may not have been included in, in routine antitrust trainings. They recognize uh, the importance of making sure their employees are well-versed in the antitrust risks and understand the boundaries of labor restrictions, where in the past they might not even have considered antitrust. In the past, uh, as I said, the risk usually was, and, and, and most people counseled on this, that if you had a non-compete, the, the risk was that it would be declared uh, non-enforceable or you wouldn't be able to enforce it. Companies now understand that the risk has been magnified, uh, especially where restrictive labor covenants impact numerous employees. Indeed, Bruce, uh, also on the European front, uh, uh, clients are increasingly seeking advice uh, on non-solicitation or non-compete clauses, uh, which they are considering. Also, they are increasingly approaching us in the context of due diligence exercise uh, to identify potential liabilities stemming from such clauses. And um, definitely, as you were saying, Bruce, this is something which was fairly unusual a few years ago. As you were saying, we are receiving in requests to make sure that companies' compliance programs are updated to cover these practices as well. So it seems fair to say that the regulatory environment is tightening globally. What are some changes you're seeing that people should be aware of, Holly? Well, I tend to be involved at the individual enforcement level rather than where authorities are involved just because of the nature of my practice and what I do. And in that world, the use of restrictive covenants has always been pretty tightly regulated. And there are some jurisdictions, as we know, where you just can't have a non-compete, for example, applicable to an employee. I suppose the change to be aware of is that in a post-COVID world where employees are very aware of their rights, they use social media to share information and to learn more about their rights and where they may well be likely to have their heads turned and explore other opportunities because of that great resignation that, that you started with, Megan. We can expect more legal challenges and more litigation and employers having to think really hard about how they try and manage those risks. And um, another thing worth mentioning uh, is that uh, with the easing of COVID restrictions uh, in the antitrust space, uh, unannounced inspections are very much back on the map. In the last six months, approximately 15 competition authorities, including the European Commission and the CMA in the UK, announced a total of more than 40 inspections, and there are more in the pipeline. These also include an inspection at personal premises, which is another reflection of the new normal, where employees increasingly work from home. For instance, in Italy, this is a new practice, uh, which has been recently introduced by way of implementation of a European directive. And we've already seen a couple of examples of inspection at private homes in the last few months. And clients are very well aware of this trend and have requested specific training on home rates, which until now were not that common in some member states of the European Union. 
And um, perhaps in this context, it's also worth mentioning that we have seen an increased interest in the Antitrust 101 app developed by Freshfields, which can support clients in the event of dawn raids. And the fact that it's also accessible via tablet and mobile phones can be handy in case of inspections carried out at home. Yeah, Melinda, that in the U.S., home raids are, are not a new practice. Uh, the U.S. Uh, authorities often execute search warrants that will include searches of homes, cars, and other personal property. And with COVID and, and more work from home, as you mentioned, this likely will increase uh, in the U.S. What is new, and, and I mentioned this briefly earlier, uh, the focus on labor in the merger context is something that we are seeing more of. In fact, it's being instructed by the heads of the FTC and the DOJ. It used to be, for much of my career, that the elimination of redundancies, either in locations or personnel, was a merger benefit. It was a cost reduction. But this is now changing. For example, the Wisconsin uh, Assistant Attorney General recently noted that some states are thinking for merger control purposes about reclassifying reductions in labor as harms and not efficiencies. This is all relatively new in the U.S., but it is something that companies will need to consider going forward with their transactions. In any event, it has become clear that the FTC and DOJ will closely scrutinize whether a merger will create a monopsony over certain workers or otherwise allow for wage depression. Bruce, this is interesting because we are not seeing a parallel trend in the EU on this front, at least for the time being. Labor considerations tend to be sometimes embedded in foreign investment review or in public interest intervention by political bodies, as opposed to being embedded in the merger control procedure. For instance, a transaction concerning supermarkets in Germany was found to have the effect of materially reducing competition, but the merger was eventually approved following political interventions and was made subject to conditions aimed at ensuring employment protection. And in this case, the German Minister for the Economy said that public interest is more important than limiting anti-competitive effects. And actually, we have seen similar cases concerning the French food industry and the Italian postal services sector. And more generally, the perception seems to be that European laws already adequately protect workers. So uh, this is not a hot topic on the merger control front in Europe, at least for the time being. So thanks, Ermelinda. This seems like a good place to wrap up today's session. So before we go, are there any other lessons learned uh, from anybody on the panel? Maybe I'll start with Holly. I suppose in my employment lawyer hat on, what I always say is that contractual tools will only get you so far. So you can have a really well-drafted set of restrictive covenants in your employment contracts, but life is an awful lot easier if people just don't leave in the first place. So I go back to, to where I started and the fact that actually there's a carrot and a stick approach and the carrot can be just as important as the stick. 
Beyond that, what I would say is that you can never be too broad in your antitrust training, which I'm sure is music to your ears. So think about everybody in the business who could conceivably stray into difficulties when it comes to HR related discussions or arrangements and make sure they understand the risk. Yeah, thanks, Holly. I appreciate the the endorsement on antitrust. I, I agree. Um, I guess the short message is that the U.S. antitrust authorities' focus on labor is not going away in the short term. Uh, so the companies should carefully consider antitrust issues in the HR context today. This includes both day-to-day practices as well as broader policies or agreements uh, that will have an impact uh, on the labor force. Yeah, and I completely agree with Ollie and Bruce. Uh, the takeaway message is probably that antitrust enforcement priorities continuously evolve. We have seen this in the labor space. And this means that your tried and tested approach on antitrust compliance might not be fit for purpose anymore. What was probably okay five years ago may put you in a very difficult position today. So make sure that you do not have blind spots in relation to restriction of competition in labor markets. So thanks, everybody, Irma Linda, Bruce, and Holly. Appreciate you joining me today for this interesting discussion on antitrust and regulatory implications in labor markets. Have a great day, everyone.